0: You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Victor Bergen. Victor, thanks so much for being with me today. It's a pleasure. Victor, we're talking about your show, Photopath, at at Kristen Tierney, which just came down. We're talking, of course, on March 9th. The show came down on March 4th and ran um, for two months at the beginning of this year let's begin with you know what the show is and perhaps how it was installed the the last time as i understand it, this was installed was at the art institute of chicago this same particular work photo path but of course the installation is different in each space that it's in is that correct
1: yes because the um there's a set of instructions On a card that uh, was written back in 67 and and the instruction is simply a guide to making the path but of course every time it's made it's made somewhere different and it's made by different people different size under different circumstances so you know the card is a kind of gives a kind of platonic ideal if you like and all the actual um, implementations of the instructions are imperfect copies of this ideal, because you can't actually photograph a path along the floor and have it. Um, and, and, and maybe I should explain. I should have begun with this, of course, that um, photopath 1967 is a set of instructions written on a card, on which I say, if I remember a path along the floor of proportions, 1 by 21 units, photographed. Photographs printed to actual size of objects and installed so that the images are perfectly congruent with the objects. That's more or less it. I don't think it's a literal rendering of what's actually on the card, but that's the idea. So you photograph the floor. It's a bit like um, aerial photography. and that's it. But of course, every time it's different. And after the exhibition it's scraped off the floor and everything is back the way it was before it was installed.
0: And um to talk a little bit about how that is installed, so there's there's the instruction card which is yeah, as 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 you describe it, and you know, there's images here also so listeners can can see what we're talking about, or they can see an approximation of what we're talking about um, there's there's one aspect of the of the instructions that that is up for interpretation right I mean perhaps it, it all is the whole process is so interpretive and, and, and in a way labor intensive and and about so many so many issues from printing to color, but the actual length of the path and how it's put in the room is can be different with each installation, right? That, that's not specified.
1: No, it doesn't. No, no, that's um, obviously the size is going to depend on the space available and the actual placement. Well, I've always done that in the past. You know, once I've shuffled off this mortal coil, I don't know who will be responsible for that, but um, it's a matter of using one's aesthetic judgment in placing this extra object in a space with objects which already exist. So in a sense, you're treating the entire space, and that was the whole point of Photopath in the first place.
0: When you talk about the space, as you just did, you mean the. every time this is installed, of course, it's it's referencing the space, right? Because one of the, the formal ideas of this is... Um, is about what what sculpture actually is, right? What it directs attention to, and um, and in in this case, um, it's directing attention in part to the space. I mean, it seems so much more than that because there's, it, it is that. Not that there's more than that, but there's also, as as I as I see it, there's this kind of, um, for lack of a better word, wow factor when we understand what's going on as we get closer and closer to this this exhibit, as we get down on the floor perhaps and begin looking at the images that so closely resemble the floor, it has almost the effect of um, of, of perhaps something like a photorealist painting that seems you know, extraordinary that it was even made. It, it has that, that level of, of technique, or at least it does to me. So, you know, though we can talk about a number of things and, and we will hear such as what it's addressing like, like the space among other things. Is is it also part of the process to you that there is this, um, there is this element that seems, uh, I, I don't want to use, you know, words that are too flowery, but, but, but almost, almost magical, almost kind of, again, wowing that when we get close, it's not, you know, reality isn't what it appears to be. This is, you know, as you've said before, um, not a perfect illusion, but close to one. And, you know, un- un- unlike a lot of work that that is made by your peers, um, this one really has something that's sort of extraordinary to it that kind of makes the mind almost skip a beat, for lack of a better word. Kind of, what am I seeing? This was made by hand kind of thing, as people would say in the past. I- is that clear what I'm saying?
1: Yes, it is. Um, I-, I mean, I became... But I was more aware than I have been in the past of that aspect of the work when I was installed in New York at Christian Tierney. Because I hadn't really taken that into account, but it kind of struck me, surprised me that uh, in a way it's a work of visual art, which uh, was not really the intention in the first place. Not as such, it wasn't something to be looked at and appreciated for its own inherent aesthetic values. It was, it was doing something else at the time. But as I said, there's a gap between the instruction, which is totally abstract and minimal, and the realization which has to take place under specific physical circumstances. And it's in that gap between the instruction and the realization that the real world comes in and produces that effect those effects that you've uh, been impressed by which impressed me
0: and this of course you know departs or is also is is, of course in line with i mean that that one aspect of it with with many of your previous works Um, this one however i mean also like others has the issue of documentation i mean even as we discuss this right it always strikes me as odd i I talk about visual art, conceptual art on the radio. That's a recorded medium where people aren't seeing anything, although there are images um, that come along with this. But documentation of this, of course, is um, almost an art in itself. Before, you just likened it to you know, aerial photography, as I understand it, because the, the photograph itself, which is so many interesting layers, the document, which is a photograph of this space, which has two realities in it, is also something that has to be carefully constructed, right? Because um, the photograph doesn't doesn't nearly tell the whole story. We have to have um, perhaps close-ups and um, and details to really understand what's happening here. So, so, I'm just asking about the photo as document and as in in a way uh, part of the artistic process here.
1: Well, the um, the experience of the work is an embodied experience, that was the intention at the beginning any documentation of it can only imperfectly try to replicate that I mean if I can explain a little Um, you know I was at at, at Yale in the mid-sixties and it was the um, heyday of minimalism and Robert Morris came up, gave a seminar and he'd said that he wanted his work, his sculpture, to be no more or less important than any other term in the room. Now, by term, in the room, I assumed he meant things that were already there, you know, the radiators, wall moulding, the door, whatever. And a kind of archetypical Bob Morris sculpture of that time was a, a grey cube in a white cube, you know, a grey cube in the gallery so um, you enter the gallery, having come from a history of uh, sculptures making gestures in the space, as it were. And there there is a cube in the middle of the gallery. So at first, first sight, there's nothing to look at in terms of your previous expectations of what a sculpture could be. But if you get it, then you realise that what you're looking at is the way everything changes as you move around the room. So the sculpture will change its apparent size, its um, shape, the its, its colour as light coming from different sources reflects from it as you move. So it's um it's a kind of phenomenological experience and the you know the Bob Boris sculpture under those circumstances, at least this archetypal one, has the, the function of directing your attention to everything that's already there. Now, as a student, hearing him say that he wanted his sculpture to be no more or less important than anything else, the obvious question arose in my mind, or maybe it wasn't so obvious to everyone else, but certainly in my mind the question arose, so why have the sculpture? Why not find a way of directing the viewer's attention to what's already there, without the sculpture. And um, photopath was my answer to that problem, to that question. So, directing your attention to something that's already there, well, how about the floor? Let's begin with that. So, So, the intention at the beginning was entirely directed towards not simply the space, but more specifically to one's embodied experience of that space as you move around it, as you see it differently from different angles. That was the original intention. So any photographic documentation can only attempt to replicate that experience.
0: That's well put, and thank you for, for getting into that as well, because that's part of what's happening here. Um, yeah, the photo documentation um, can only approximate that. And, and what, what you just mentioned about, you know, um, Robert Morris and, and, and the question that, that generated and, and this resultant um, work is also, as I understand it, summed up when, when I believe you said, you know, when evaluating an artwork. Right when, when you 're evaluating, and i don 't know if this is still how you evaluate an, an artwork, whether it 's your own or others, but <clears throat> the question is, does it help me to understand my surroundings in a different way, right, which, yeah. as I understand is also what you what, what you know the kind of archetypal um, reference you made there so is this is that also a way that that you look at um, art in general, others art, other sculptures, other artists is that is that how you look at art, this idea of is it helping me to understand my surroundings in a different way, or does this pertain really only to the work that, that you're doing and how you're moving through the world
1: no it's it's a general principle I mean back in the mid 60s when I was at Yale, um, the you know, the discourse around art was was very um, technical, very specific, and wouldn't have been understood by, you know, the average guy. And that didn't seem to matter. So Photopath intervened in that, you know, those those debates that were going off at that time, you know, what's the limit of sculpture? What can count as a sculpture? You know, Bob Morris made a steam sculpture, you know, can this count as a sculpture? So those are the kinds of questions we were answering. Uh, there were questions totally confined within the art world and they concerned the art object, the nature of the art object. As I left Yale, as I grew older and matured, I started to be more troubled by another question, not simply what is the nature of the art object, but what is the nature of the relation of the art object to the world that surrounds it, you know, the social world. And that took me through... uh, that took me into photography because I thought, well, at least if I use that medium of photography, necessarily anything I do uh, as an artwork is going to include the world because that's what photography does. There's no way of avoiding it. So I, I was taken out into those political uh, political considerations. And in the first place, the works I was making, then, you know, the mid-70s, for example, having moved on, were, um, you know, mainly kind of Marxian in uh, inspiration. They were really concerned with uh, class relations, economic class relations. And, of course, that area of engagement with the political gave way in time to all forms of um, identity politics. So there's a resurgence of the feminist movement I became interested in. Questions of, you know, gender politics got added to the kind of economistic Marxist view. Um, and then, of course, you know, black, gay identity politics came along. And so, I, you know, I found it having to include more and more in the framework of uh, considerations that was operative when I was working. So the art object was produced into that context and was trying to respond to that context. And I found a number of um, ways of dealing with that, beginning with photography. You know, Now I'm using video game engines and working 3D, 3D computer space, always in the framework of those considerations. But um, over that period, I was, I can't really say why, but I began to be invited, commissioned to make works in specific places. So uh, I would go to this town or then I would be invited to another town in 2010, you know I went to Istanbul where I was invited to make a work there, always responding to a specific place. And I think that drew my attention to just being there in that place, how do I respond to that place, how do I make an honest representation of that place. And. Um, Subsequently, I mean, I I, I arrived at a position now where I feel that what I'm trying to do is to make a representation, a picture, if you like, make a representation of the, as, as honestly as I possibly can, of the experience of being in a place and then everything that's happening, you know, everything that's going through my head and everything that light reflected from surfaces is is uh, giving to me and the purpose of the artwork then is to represent that space in a way which has not been pre-formatted uh, you know we tend to see what we know already when when we photograph things very often you know photographs look more like other photographs than they look like the finger photographing and, and, and it's, a, you know, it's a perennial problem, I think, for any artist who is still infected by the virus of avant gardism and um, you know, the modern period, is to try to make a representation that differs from everything that's gone before, not as a novelty, but rather as a more accurate or truthful representation of somebody being in a place at a particular time, taking everything into account. Now, this is not a new idea. I mean, what I arrived at, though, was expressed, I think, most coherently and forcibly by the uh, Russian formalist critic, Viktor Shklovsky, in um, 1917, in a paper he presented in an artist's bar in St. Petersburg, called, variously translated as, Art as a Device or Artist Technique. And in that paper, he says... um, he says, habitualization has destroyed my furniture, my wife, and my fear of war. He said, you get used to everything. And the purpose of art is to make you, bring you back into contact with, with your surroundings. And he says, in one sentence, he says, the purpose of art is to make the stone stony. You know, to bring you back into that contact. Content and you, it's an idea, I guess. You find not only in uh, you know Western formalism, but you also find it in Eastern. Uh, well, I was going to say Eastern. I'm thinking of Zen Buddhism. Here, uh, yeah, you know, you will find in the Eastern tradition more of that. If you look at Chinese and Japanese art of a certain kind, you often feel that that's what's at stake. Kind of representation of that being there, the Dasein, Heidegger's Dasein, just being the trying to represent that, and not drawing upon all the habits of representation that you've inherited. So, that's what I'm trying to do. And then from time to time, very rarely, I must say, increasingly rarely in contemporary art, I feel that I'll I'll respond to the work of an artist where I feel she or he or they they or whatever they prefer. it's actually making an honest effort just to do that. They're not trying to entertain. They're not trying to, inform, not trying to inform. I mean, I'm already amply entertained and informed elsewhere, so why do we need art? So what's art for? I think it's to make the stone stony.
0: To make the, the stone stony. That's what you just said, correct?
1: Yes. No, I'm, I'm s- simply repeating this. Viktor Shlowski, 1917. The purpose of art.
0: That's fascinating. And um you know I can I can even link here also to this so people can read just the essay by Victor Shlovsky that you're speaking of. And and so to to come full circle, we're talking about how you're approaching your work. We're talking about um, you know the, the, the restaging of one of your earliest works and and now you're using video game engines and um, and pursuing these same um, Ideas. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, the relationship of video game engines to your your work now and what you're uh, what you're creating, building?
1: Well, when I said that I moved to photography, it was you know part of that impulse. It's, it's not only to make that relation to the external world, but it was also to use uh, a technology that was in the world. You know, using a camera, I was using the same technology that was used throughout, uh, you know, the media. Later on, I was using a video camera. Again, I'm using a technology that everyone's familiar with that's very widely used and it's a form of representation that uh, brings the world to us through, you know, through the media, through various uh, media channels. So I always felt that I wanted to You know, Bertolt Gresh said there are times when it's necessary not to start with the good old things, but with the bad new things, and I feel in the case of digital technology, I'm not saying it's bad, it's more what, uh, you know, Nerida following Plato called the It's it can cure and it can poison, it can be one or the other, but um, digital technology the digital revolution, following so closely, only, you know, barely over a century or so after the industrial revolution, the the digital technology, not least AI now, is um, totally transforming the, the world and everything in it. So I want to use tools which help me to understand something of that technology. And I want to use tools which are the tools of representation. Again, For me, uh, my interest in art is that it's a representative art. It maps the world, as I've been trying to explain. So, digital representations are all around us now. And I wanted to use technology that it was the same technology that was producing the world in which I'm immersed. You know, the world of representations in which I'm immersed. When I watch. TV or go to the cinema or see some publicity or on a hoarding, or watch whatever. Um, I want to use the same technology so that I have some understanding of you know, how it works. So uh, video game engines, are software that was originally designed for video game makers, but um, as it gained in sophistication and complexity and capability, it started to be used maybe a decade or so ago by other people. So it was used, I think, first of all, by architects or architectural rendering. But now it's used in the movie industry. I mean, you know, many of the blockbuster uh, action movies or sci-fi movies that you see now, a lot of those will have been shot with the, with the assistance of game engines because they can give you real-time, fictive universes. You know, they don't have to be composite. I think we're all familiar with the idea of, you know, the superman hanging on wires against a green screen and then in post-production clouds and whatever are, are superimposed or composited onto Superman and the wires are removed. You don't need to do that anymore. Um, what you have is uh, real-time uh, scenery on um, vast LED screens. This is how that movie Gravity was shot. Um, everything in there was, was you know, real-time computer graphics running on these LED environments. So I'm interested in using those same technologies, understanding how the world is presented to me through the medium, through the cinema and so on, how it's actually made. And, yeah, that's it, basically. So my work, the characteristically, these days, If they're still images, um, or if they're moving, I I make a lot of 10-minute loops for projection. Then um, those tend to be made made, uh, using a video game engine. So I I can move cameras. I I, I can build a world. I can construct a world in, in 3D computer space. Analogously to the way that I would have constructed a world or... Um, found the world, in actual physical space. I mean, For example, if I'm taking a photograph or I'm making a movie and I want to, I have a particular kind of house in mind, then if I have a load of money like Hollywood in the old, in the old days, then I have that house constructed on the back lot. Um, and then I, you know, make my shots there. If I don't have, you know, if I'm an independent filmmaker, I go looking for a house that will be suitable having found a house that's pretty much suitable, I might find that I then have to adapt it more closely to my needs. So I might have to put in a wall or I might have to uh, repaint something or change the furniture. And, and it's the same in the 3D space. So I'll um, have to build something or I'll buy something that's being made by a specialist builder who sells things to 3D models, sells 3D models already constructed, um, and then I'll adapt that to my own needs. Sometimes I have to build everything from scratch. Um, and then I'll move my cameras in that space, just as I would move actual cameras in a real space. So it's um, it's being a movie maker in a studio where a painter works, you know, something which in the movie or photographic industries, take teams of people, I do, I do all the work myself, and I can control everything within that 3D space. And it's a bit like being back when I was a painter, you close the studio door, it's just you, and and you create the world on the canvas, and now I create the world on the screen.
0: And that screen that you're creating on, how is that ultimately installed or perceived by... um the audience is it is it a projection or on a monitor or uh, or, or multiple projections how does that uh, enter into the environment of the viewer
1: it's a projection it's um, it's generally I mean you know I like economy and uh, I'm not uh, if if there are going to be multiple projections, I think you have a very good reason for doing them. I think most of the time you see multiple projectories, it's just that they're, they're more spectacular. You know, Have lots of big screens on that, showing stuff at the same time. Um, and that for me is sheer redundancy. I'm, I mean, I'm still a minimalist. I'm still at Yale in the 60s. I'm still a minimalist. I like to put everything within uh, a compact space, within the space of a 10-minute video loop. But that loop precisely as it comes around again, hopefully, there's enough going off in the work, packed into the work, that if you stay with it, you will gradually not go around again in a circle, but you will spiral, and each time, you'll find a new, you know, iteration. It's a like a ruchiturnello in uh, music, you hear a theme, and then, you know, ten minutes later, you hear it again, but this time, you hear it through everything that's taken place in the meantime, so you hear it differently. Uh, it's that it's that kind of approach. So yeah, generally it's a single image projected on a wall, serves as a screen. Um, that's it.
0: Victor, thank you so much for talking with me today. I want to ask you one more question before we go, uh, which is a little off topic. Uh, but I'm always curious what everyone's reading. What are you reading
1: at the moment or looking at? Uh, well. One comes to mind actually, but it's, this is not typical, but it's what comes to mind because it's the book I just put down. It's, um, it's Louis Althusser, Lenin and Philosophy Ideology and Ideological State Apparatuses. It, it, it just happens to be the case that I happen to have to pick that up because of uh, the detail in the text that I'm having to write at the moment. But um, I, I tend to read. Um, I tend to read for what I'm writing, so um, and again I tend to write in response, as I do with my visual works, in response to invitations. So the last um, sustained reading I did was uh, the reading I did for a very small book I published, um, which was revisiting Walter Benjamin's essay "The Work of Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction." So um, I reread Benjamin. I read the original version, the, the, the published version that everybody knows, and then I've read the versions that have been published in new translations since then, and you know, and, and, and then address the entire question of um, the work of art in the age of mechanical reproduction. How do we think about that now, when the work of art is in the age of digital technology? So uh, all my reading was geared towards that. So I found myself. Going back and reading um, some cybernetics, Norbert Beano, people that stuff, you know, stuff I'd read back in the 60s, and then trying to bring that up into the present and um, setting it in the context of current concerns. Uh, So, yeah, something I was reading there was, um, ah, I forgot the guy's name recently died, unfortunately. Mm. And then, yep, it's gone, it's gone. But anyway, I, 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 as I say, it's, it, I, I really have the time to sit down and just read a good book and enjoy it from, from cover to cover and, uh, and picking up books. And, well, I, you know, I was an academic for, you know, for quite a long time. It was a parallel track to being an artist and uh, teaching in the graduate department, History of Consciousness at UC Santa Cruz. And unfortunately, as an academic, because you have to, you get used to gutting books. You know, you pick them up and you grab, you grab an idea, you take it, you connect it with something else and you really have the luxury of just sitting down and reading and looking forward to that. I always look forward to that at the end of doing a work of, whether it's a piece of writing or the visual work, I think, okay, I'm going to give myself some time to just sit down and read a book I'll enjoy, but uh, haven't quite got there yet.
0: Well thanks for sharing those books with me and those works. Victor, I wanna thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate your your time and, and your work. Thank you so much.
1: It's a great pleasure. Thanks you.
0: You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators and more.